This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Well, today we have a really cool guest. A couple weeks ago, I had a podcast all about Corvette values. Well, today we have a Corvette expert. So I'd like to welcome Derek Moore. Derek, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about Corvette history and uh, all things Corvette and, and hopefully some other stuff too. Yeah, we definitely go into some tangents. Now, you're the director of collections and the curator at the National Corvette Museum, correct? Yes. Yep. Director of collections and curator. Yeah. Okay. So for our average tourist, what does that mean? <laughs> I get that question a lot. What what, is, what does that person do? So basically, anytime you're in a museum, um, all museums typically have curators. Um, you know, most have some type of director of collections. And basically, we oversee all of the artifacts you see on display and uh, the exhibits that are, um, you know, you're actually walking through in the museum and, and really the narrative story that's being told within the museum. Wow, that's really cool. Now, I have another podcast that's all about careers. And typically on this podcast, I don't ask people about their careers because it's all about cars. But I am curious, how did you end up at the National Corvette Museum? Ah, that is a uh, interesting story, and, and hopefully not too long. Um, but I grew up, and and probably plays into the car story as well. But I grew up uh, restoring uh, cars with my father. Uh, he had a restoration shop back in Michigan where I grew up. But when I was a kid, he was uh, he restored cars, but he was also a GM body man, you know, body technician at dealerships. But he happened to be the body guy that um, was most interested in fiberglass and went to all of the Corvette classes at Tech Center. And uh, so we restored a lot of Corvettes along the way. He told me he didn't want to see me go into, you know, just being a body guy or trade or anything like that. You know, you should go to college and, you know, get a degree and, and get a good job and you know, all that. And, you know, of course, now it's like, well, the trades are actually a good place to be. But right. uh, so I, you know, I, I went off to college, did did what your parents hope you'd do. But I, I was actually going to be a chemistry major and, and took a history class that kind of changed my mind on, on history and got me more interested in it and uh, wound up in a museum studies program and I uh, wound up getting my foot in the door at Henry Ford Museum, uh, Greenfield Village up in Dearborn, Michigan, back um, when I still lived back in Michigan, and started my career off there. Uh, worked there for about eight years, I guess it was, uh, in the conservation department, taking care of the uh, transportation collection there. Um, actually had opportunity to run car, a lot of the cars there, do stuff like that and then uh, moved on to a museum in Cleveland, Ohio, called the Crawford Auto Aviation Museum, and I was curator there for about uh, a little over, I think it was five years. And then the Corvette Museum was looking for a curator about uh, four years ago, and kind of asked me to apply for it, and you know, interviewed me and offered me the job, which I accepted. <laughs> and um, you know, that was I've been here just over three years. Um, so it interestingly, it kind of kind of came full circle because, you know, I started out kind of as a kid growing up in a GM family and, and working on Corvettes a lot uh, and then kind of headed off and did the museum thing, wound up at the Henry Ford Museum, you know, and kind of moved around and, and now I'm back in that GM and, and Corvette 
centric world. Wow, that's really cool. So is there a Corvette from your childhood or starting, you know, helping your dad out that stuck out that kind of might be kind of the taproot Corvette that got you excited, a particular generation or a specific car? Yes, it's actually a very specific car that I I hope to own one day. Um, It's actually a good friend of my father's um, has a, a 67. Corvette, of course, last year of the second generation Corvette, what they call the second generation. He's a uh, he, he's a mechanic, and uh, kind of uh, uh, you know when I was a kid, he was an older you know he's about my dad's age, um, but he had worked on a lot of early cars with the people that taught him how to be a mechanic. I learned a lot of my mechanical knowledge. Um, from my dad's friend Howie, and um, I was always around kind of, you know, seeing his Corvette and, you know, hearing it run and, you know, all those things, and it's it's just that kind of Corvette that sticks out in my mind from childhood, and of course the connection to the owner, and having him as actually kind of a mentor as a kid teaching me how to work on um, all engines. I mean, everything, he taught me a lot of what I know about some of the, you know, I collect antique cars. And, um, you know, a lot of what I know about early engines um, actually came from Howie as well. So that 67 Corvette, he still owns to this day. And and hopefully, maybe when he's get ready to get part with it, you know, he might, might think about offering it to me, I hope. Wow. Well, what are the specs on that car, the color, interior, options? It is, uh, it, you had to ask me that because now I can't remember <laughs> the name of the color right off the top of my head. I'm fine with blue, yellow, pink, white, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's the Goodwood green. Oh, great color. Darker green, yep. And then uh, black interior, and it's the it's the it's the small blocks. So it's the three twenty seven uh, cubic inch and the uh, four speed. But I don't know if which four speed it is. If it's an M twenty twenty one or a twenty two. So I doubt it's the M twenty two. That'd be a really rare car. But you know, it's but it is a four speed manual. So uh, it's a nice car, you know, kind of a, a more, I'd call it baseline Corvette in some worlds, but still a, a beautiful, just a beautiful car. And it's, it's a, you know, coupe, so it's hard top, not the, not the roadster. Right. That's really cool. And actually a 67 Corvette's one of my early cars. Uh, that's my favorite Corvette, actually. My uncle has, my Uncle Jack, shout out to Uncle Jack. He has a 67 coupe that he bought like in 74, and he's been showing it since like 78. And I've been drooling over it since like 1980, and it's that marina blue with white interior, four-speed, factory AC, side pipe, 350 horsepower car. So it's a pretty cool little small block for sure. And like I said, I've been drooling over that forever, and I've tried to buy it from him for many years, but he's he's going to give it to one of his daughters. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'm like, she's just going to do donuts in the local parking lot. You need to sell it to me, <laughs> which is not, <laughs> which is not true. She would take very good care of it and, and uh, show it for another 40 years or so. So, wow. Well, that's really cool. Now, if you would, is there a Corvette currently or another cool car currently in your garage? Well, actually, um, probably something people might be shocked to find out about me. Um, but I actually currently don't own a Corvette. Um, I've worked on a lot of Corvettes. I've driven around in a lot of Corvettes, but I've, I've never owned a Corvette. As I as I kind of alluded to, I'm I'm huge fan, and and I have a lot of passion around the early automobile um, as kind of my collecting type world. Uh, so right now, you know, in my collection, I've got a 1917 Overland uh, Model 90 Roadster, 1919 wow. Chevy 490 Touring Car. 
1923 Peerless Model 66, which is uh, uh, one of the early American V8s. It's got a 332 cubic inch V8 engine in it. And then I do have a couple, uh, you know, more, well, um, a more modern car. I've got a 61 Ford Falcon that I actually bought uh, when I worked at Henry Ford Museum, and it was actually kind of my daily driver, actually up till I, I moved here to Kentucky, but that's not because I won't drive a Ford to the Corvette Museum. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's actually because shortly before making the move, I was driving it to work one day. I lost oil pressure, and um, I've got it in the garage. I've fixed the oil pressure issue, but now I've got a. I've kind of in going over everything on the car. It really needs the the brake system rebuilt. Some things to be a little more safe um, as it ages. So I'm kind of slowly trying to make all the you know required maintenance to it and uh, make sure it's safe to get back on the road again as as one of my daily drivers so well, that's cool and that's a cool collection and we could solve your problem right now let's just take one of those early cars and let's just shove a ls4 engine into it and call it a day <laughs> there you go there you go yeah <laughs> uh, that maybe in the 1919 chevy because you'd be keeping the family lineage there you go. I like that. Yeah. I do like that. Yeah, I know everybody gets upset if they see a 32 Ford with a Chevy engine or, you know, something like that. So that would be cool to keep it all within the family. That's really neat. Well, one of the things I gave you to do as far as a to-do list for this podcast was to come up with your list of the top 10 Corvettes ever, which I know is a really difficult thing to come up with. So tell me, how have you fared so far on that task? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I've got maybe six or seven figured out. Uh, it's it's a as you know as you know, as you were just saying it's it's a difficult list to come up with because you know you can look at so many aspects of Corvette history the production line the experimentals that were built the race cars that were built um, and there's so many different Corvettes within that world and then all the different engine options uh, that came out over time and the different you know packages for um, you know essentially sneaking factory-backed race cars out of the factory during the AMA ban on racing, you know, that where they were building the Z06s in 1963, and, you know, they were a production car, but they were only being sold to race teams, you know. So, you know, I, I, I struggle a little bit with the list, um, but I would say the ones that definitely jump right off the, the top of, of the mind when you get to it, um, obviously you just start with, the first year, 1953, because it is the pivotal year in bringing Corvette to life, uh, proving that America is ready for a sports car of Corvette's nature, and um, you know, getting this whole thing rolling now, you know, 67 years later, we just passed the 67th birthday of Corvette, and uh, so you know, it all traces back to that one, you know, those those first 1953s that rolled off the line, and then of course, I think. After that, you you have to look at the uh, 1955 Corvette, you know, the first one to get the V8 in it and and bring it into a higher horsepower, you know, true kind of sports car nature with a big American V8, and uh, that European sports car styling would be probably one of those top ten as well. Um, and then what I just talked about, you know, the 1963, uh, when they bring out the second generation of Corvette, major change in the car. You know, you go to, you know, independent front suspension, you go, you know, or independent uh, rear suspension, sorry, you know, from the solid axle years. Um, and then you go, you know, in 63, you've got the famous split window design of the Corvette. 
and but you also have the you know the Z06s coming out. You have these you know race prepped spec cars. Um, of course, you had fuel injected uh, engines introduced just a few years before this, so you've got amazing fuel injection technology um, coming out in the '63 uh, lineup of Corvettes, which you know is just makes the car an incredible car, um, changes the whole idea of what the Corvette is. And then in that same period, in the ninth, you know, this, this second generation, um, you can't overlook the Grand Sports, uh, the five right. Grand Sports yep. that were built to compete with the Cobras. You know, I mean, just the amazing battle that, it, you know, the Z06, the Cobra, the Grand Sport, the flip-top Cobra, the, you know, just that, that back and forth between Corvette and Cobra uh, trying to defeat each other out on the track is is amazing. Uh, and then as as you work your way up through the years, uh, I mean, the, the L88 of the late 60s, you know, very few of those built, high horsepower, big engine. Um, Would that be a C2 or a C3 car? Uh, well, they started the L88s in 67, so the last year of core, uh, C2 production. For your list, would you pick a 67 or would you pick a 68? Ooh, uh, wow, you have to throw that out there, don't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> you could pick two. We only have a couple yeah, spots taken so far. <laughs> I like the styling of, of both the 67 and the 68. I think probably with the L88, I'd probably go with the the, the 68 with that longer, um, you know, kind of sleeker look of the body on the right. third generation Corvette. I don't know. I just to me it you know it it gives that L88 a little and and even the just the kind of minor decaling they did um, on the L88s, uh, you know, just to and the hood, especially the C3 hood. For the L88, so it just a, it's a nice, uh, nicely styled uh, Corvette. Right. Okay. Yeah. Keep on going. I mean to mix. I didn't mean to interrupt your timeline here because you're doing great, but I wanted to get clarification <laughs> on that L88. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. And I'm sure you know. I this is you know this is my list. I'm sure somebody out there is going to be like, well, he missed this, this, and this. But right. Um, right. You know, and then you know you get up through the years, and and I think you know again in a in a historical context of top ten Corvettes, you have to look at the essentially the 1983. Production 1984 Corvette. Um, of course, 83 is the only year they don't build a Corvette. We have the one and only Corvette, uh, 1983 Corvette, here at the museum, and that's you know the really I, in my opinion, and, and what I always tell people is, you know that the C4, the introduction of fourth generation, what what we call the C4 Corvettes, is really the beginning of the change from American sports car to America's supercar, where they're starting to get ready to go up against Ferrari and Lamborghini and all of the European, you know, essentially what are becoming from moving from sports cars, European sports cars into um, the European supercar market. And that is Corvette's transition period, where they really go from the high horsepower, brute, you know, engines to a lot of computer technology that's going to develop through the fourth generation and become the you know essentially the the car we know today uh, you know because they during that fourth generation they play with active handling magnetic ride control all the different things that lead to the C5 6 7 and and now what we have with the C8 Corvette um, so that is that is a pivotal time and of course the story even just the story behind 
1983 and why they couldn't get it into production um, and had to hold off till 1984 um, is, you know, uh, really a pivotal story in Corvette history because it could have been the end of Corvette, but it wasn't. Could you give us a brief little overview, like a cliff note as far as that situation for our listeners? Yeah. So uh, basically 83, you know, what they're doing is they, they know in the early eighties, they're going to be moving to the new generation. They're, they're designing it, they're engineering it. They're working very diligently on, on getting the fourth generation together. And it is a major change. It is a huge change from the C3. You have to remember the 1982 Corvette, third generation, that chassis is essentially the same chassis as a 1963 Corvette. Very minor right. changes. I mean, this that chassis had a long run. And they're trying to completely rewrite the way Corvette is engineered, designed, everything about it. And when they get the pilot cars built late in 82, um, you know, and, and start sorting through them for 83 production, well, in 82, they're working on it. You know, basically what what they find is that they're trying to make so many changes. They're trying this drastic makeover of Corvette that, you know, they're having problems figuring out, you know, federal the newer federal emission standards. They're having troubles figuring out, you know, proper panel fit and body fit and paint uh, finishes um, with the new materials they're using in the body. Um, just all kinds of things that essentially Chevrolet says, this is not up to Corvette standard. You know, number one, we're having issues with, you know, federal regulations, some of the federal regulations, making sure we're going to meet them in time. But also just the, the fit and finish of the car is not Corvette standard. And so they made the decision to run the 1982, um, you know, year, production year longer. And that's what led to the, uh, you know, the, the collector's edition 1982 Corvette. And then the um, 1984 production year starts early. So actually we get a lot of calls um, from people that, you know, it, it's interesting. People are like, I, I just ran my VIN and I have an 83 Corvette. Well, they started production uh, early, basically before what the you know the federal government lists VIN numbers changing over to the next model year as. So early '84 Corvettes, if you were to go to like AutoZone to get a part, or you know any of the big you know parts companies that you can get parts from, if they run your VIN and it's an early enough one, it actually comes up in their system as a 1983 because the VIN standards were registered in 83 instead of the 84 model year. But in all actuality, there is only one 1983 Corvette left in existence, and that is here. So everybody's thinking, oh, my gosh, I have the second one. <laughs> yeah, <Right>? exactly. <laughs> yeah, There were 43 pilot cars uh, built, and uh, you know, 42 were, were crushed. So um, we know that uh, we, you know, the one and only is, is here at the museum. Wow, that's really cool. Now let's recap. Let's see. So you, I think you're through the first five. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, Fifty-three. Oh, that's a great question. I don't know if I. <laughs> yeah, let me let I'll me see. Keep track. <laughs> 1953, 1963 split window, a Grand Sport, the 68 L88, and the 83 car. Those are what I have so far. Does that sound right? Well, you skipped the 55 with the introduction of the V8. Oh, sorry, 55. All right, so you're up to six. <laughs> yes yeah i'm up to six and that's you know the the struggle and then you know i so what i was talking about with the fourth generation of corvette um i think that's when you start you know there's there's milestones and then you can start looking at 
what happens during a production run that, um, you know, kind of forms Corvette. So 1989 and 1990, um, you know, the big introduction from the Corvette world is the, the fourth generation ZR1. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, everybody, okay, you know, most people think, oh, the ZR1, you know, they think C4. Uh, but we have to remember, the ZR1 was actually a package during the C3 generation as well. Um, there were very, very few built. They're a very rare car. Um, but there was actually a ZR1 package um, back in 1970, and I think it was 70 and 71. Um, two years they ran. Um, actually, I think they did it into 72. Um, yeah, yep, they did it into 72. Um, so, you know, there was, but such a low number, nobody seems to remember those cars. And they didn't have special badging that said ZR1. It was just a, a package you could get on the car back in the third generation. But the fourth generation, you get the ZR1, and, of course, you get the, you know, the wide body, the special rear end, you know, fascia. Um, you get this kind of different stylized Corvette come out. Um, much higher horsepower. Uh, you know, you have a, a key in those ZR in the C4 ZR1s to go from basically valet mode, which is low horsepower, to full power mode. Um, and so you can actually turn the horsepower up and down in those cars with two settings. And you know, they're just an incredible car. Um, the handling on them, the the suspension design. I mean, a, a fantastic cra uh, track car for the 19, you know, for 8990. I mean, these things were incredible cars to take out on track. But with the ZR1 program, they start playing around with what they can do with Corvette even more than just what they did with the ZR1, and that's when you get uh cars like the active uh, active handling cars. They did six, I think it was six active uh active handling suspension cars um you know they build of course viper comes out right around that time so they're looking at you know a v10 you know powered competitor to corvette so they start bringing out cars like the uh snake skinner uh, of course you know snake skinner a direct you know kind of hit at viper Uh, then they also do with, um, you know, Falconer, they do the ZR12, uh, Corvette, which was known as Conan the Corvette. And, uh, you know, they start playing around with the chassis, the engineering, the design, you know, they, they do some other, you know, big block, uh, Corvettes at that time, um, all based around the ZR1 and it all leads to, you know, further development towards the fifth generation Corvette. Um, so I think that ZR1 Um, in 1989 and 90 is uh, a pivotal time in Corvette history because it's it's another leap forward in the engineering of the car. Yeah, and I remember those came out new, and I was about 16, 17 at the time, and I was just in love with those cars, and I thought that that key, you know, the extra key was, like, so cool. It was, like, mind-blowing as a 16-year-old that this thing has so much horsepower, you have to turn a key to get more, you know, that kind of thing. So that was really... Really, really cool. Well, what's you got three more spots here. So what okay. are the final three? More. three? More. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> well, um, <laughs> this may be an odd one to, to anybody that's a Corvette fan uh, that listens to, to the, the podcast. Um, and it may be a personal, um, you know, interest of mine. Uh, but it's, you know, it's kind of also an interesting story in Corvette history. 
but in uh, 1999 and 2000, uh, Corvette did the fixed-roof coupes, what Mm. what most people reference as the FRC. And, um, you know, it was really them, you know, Corvette looking at possibly doing a car that they might be able to build a little cheaper um, to try to bring the price down a little further. Of course, you don't have to put a target top in. You're going to save costs, um, you know, especially on the structure because you're not having a part of the roof be removable. Um, you know, so they were, they were trying to look at some cost savings, and it led to this, you know, the 99 and 2000 fixed-roof coupe which only those two years, because then in 2001, the fixed roof coupe, uh, because of the you know, rigidness of the car with that roof that no longer has to have a target top in it, turns into the Z06. Right. The 2001 yep. Z06 Corvette. Uh, they did not have a target top. They were a fixed roof coupe. Um, so you know, that fixed roof coupe, although it was an attempt to start looking at an idea of lowering the price of Corvette, you know, even more than, you know, most people call Corvette, you know, kind of the common man sports car because it's much cheaper than a Ferrari or any other European uh, car of its, you know, that's of its caliber. Um, you know, they were looking at, can we bring the price down a little further? But then when they realized how rigid the car became, they could put a higher horsepower engine in it, and they brought out the Z06 again with that, that fixed roof coupe. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's a, an interesting timeline in, in the C5 story is that the fixed roof coupe and what it turns into bringing the Z06 name back into Corvette's, you know, lineage. Yeah, that's actually sneaky good because I could expect the Z06 of that era, you know, being on your list, but not just the fixed roof coupe. So that's a great call out. I like that a lot. Okay. I mean, that's, and that's, that's what I guess, like, that's what I love about, you know, kind of curating a collection and, you know, looking at things in a little different way is, you know, yeah, the Z06 was amazing, the high horsepower, all that, but how were they able to do it? And we got to step back and go, oh, the fixed roof coupe and the story of that leads us to that. Um, and I think that's, that's the kind of stories, you know, especially when I do an exhibit here at the museum, I like to try to get into those a little bit, you know, I guess you call it a, you know, technological rabbit hole um, that you dive down to to kind of learn a little more about the backstory. Wow. Okay. So you've got two more spots, and I think we've had every generation except for C6, C6, let's see, C6, C7. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That Uh-oh. means I got to tie between the C6 and the C7 generation. <laughs> <laughs> so what is next? And you don't have to pick one per generation. You don't have to pick that. Oh yeah, and I I didn't intend to. I, and, right. uh, you know, I I don't. Yeah, you know, I think I got a couple C ones in there. I think I might have got a couple C twos. And yep. so you know, I'm jumping around a bit. Um, but you know, probably the next one I would have to say the the you know the ninth pick here. And I'm not you know you notice I'm not doing them like you know Dave Letterman or something would do it where I'm counting them down <laughs> or counting them up. I'm just randomly put putting ten out there. Uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, I would probably say the 2019 ZR1. You know, they bring the ZR1 name back um, for the, you know, final year of production of the, the seventh generation. But essentially, you know, uh, the engineers at Corvette and the designers um, basically squeeze every last ounce of everything they have in the front-engine Corvette. Um, out of the car in the ZR1 um, and, you know, build an insane car that, you know, really, who needs it for street driving? It's it's truly a car that belongs 
pretty much only on the racetrack. You know, I mean, there, there are a lot of them out there, guys. You know, people own them, drive them on the street, and they, and they drive them wisely and safely. Uh, but there's more horsepower in that car than you will ever use on the public roads. But it was their, you know, kind of nod at this is the absolute limit of a front-engine car in the Corvette. And this is, here you go, here is the absolute limit before we move to what Zora had always wanted, which was the mid-engine Corvette. So I think that, that ZR1 is kind of that final hurrah of the engineers. I was waiting for that ZR1 to pop in, so I'm glad it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm sure you can probably guess what the 10th car is. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you say it. So uh, now it's time for the, in no particular order, but this is the 10th car on your list. So what is that car? Uh, that would be the 2020 Stingray mid-engine Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did see that one coming. So yes, fantastic and that's not, car. I mean, you know, not trying to, you know, put out there like, you know, oh, it's such a great car. You know, anything, and, and you know, it's just, it is the the you know, and, and the mid-engine exhibit that we're doing here at the museum now that we worked with GM on. Um, you know, it's the the title of the exhibit is the Vision Realized. And that's truly what the 2020 Stingray is. It is Zora's vision finally realized. Um, you know, the, the mid-engine Corvette is here. It's in production. Um, it is for the general public to own and have. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, a dream, you know, 60 years in the making. And, uh, you know, I mean, and, and a lot of people, you know, out there would say, well, you know, yeah, Zora had that dream, but, you know, would he have still been pushing for that dream, you know, now? I mean, would he, you know, and I always point out, you've got to remember that when, you know, Zora was becoming, essentially becoming the head engineer of, head engineer of Corvette, um, although he never truly held the title of, like, chief engineer or anything like that, you know, 1954, he's taking a leave of absence from Chevrolet Engineering, to go over to France, get in a Porsche factory race car, mid-engine sports car, and win Le Mans. Right. <laughs> he right. understood mid-engine cars. He knew their capabilities. Yes, he would still be pushing for a mid-engine Corvette to this day. I mean, he, you know, that was his, he knew what they were capable of, and with the advancements in technology, you know, I mean, they're only capable of more than what they used to be. So, you know, I think we, I always try to remind people, you know, Zora was the guy that was driving mid-engine sports cars before he even really came to Corvette. I mean, he was driving them long before he was hired at Chevrolet, um, you know, and, and racing in them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it is it is truly Zora's vision realized. Yes, and I was at Amelia Island, and I saw the mid-engine display there of all the Corvettes, all the prototypes. And it wasn't like there was just one. I mean, there was, like, I don't know how many, but there was over 10, I'd say, yes. that spanned many generations of Corvettes. Yeah, and, and a few of those cars have been destroyed. You know, they've they've a few of the mid-engine Corvettes over time were just thought to not be really important. In, in development history, so they've actually, you know, crushed them or, you know, modified them into something else um, along the way. So, you know, there are some that don't even exist anymore. Um, but, yeah, we were actually, the, the Corvette Museum was uh, proud to be part of that lineup um, because we actually, um, in our collection, have uh, XP987GT, which is the two-rotor Corvette. 
um, back when they were doing the rotary engine experiments. So um, we were we were one of those wonderful mid-engine cars lined up there uh, by the the uh, C8 display. Oh wow, that's really cool. Well, now correct me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't the new C8 isn't the base model faster than? the c7 zr1 like zero to 60 something crazy like that um they both will go zero to 60 in under three seconds so the, the c7 zr1 yeah zero to 60 under three seconds and the base model 2020 stingray zero to 60 in under three seconds so that right there tells you you know they squeezed every last ounce of energy out of the front engine but the mid-engine has a long way to go. Right, it sure does. Yeah, and it's a beautiful car on top of everything else. Now, what color would you want your C8 in? Ah, great question. Um, I've actually played around on the um, the website there for the C8 where you can build your own. And, um, you know, I, of course, have to ask my wife her opinions, too. Uh, Got to make sure she's happy. And uh, <laughs> we, are, we are actually stuck uh, between two colors. Um, we have the uh, Blade Silver, which is my favorite, uh, Blade Silver with a black interior, um, you know, black accents, uh, things like that on it. Um, just kind of a very clean, um, almost throwback to the original, you know, 63 Stingray uh, look of some of the show cars that were silver with black interior. Um, but then my wife actually saw one of the Ceramic Matrix Gray uh, C8s here at the museum, and although she did not like the color on the C7s, she absolutely loves it on the C8s. So um, we're we're kind of stuck between two colors right now. Well, that's a tough place to be, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I did notice on the new Corvette that color does make a big difference. It really calls out, you know, the angles a lot more. You know, if it's a white versus a black, you know, so you really have to pay attention to the colors to see exactly what you want it. One from your Corvette, for sure. Yeah. Now, you mentioned before you, you had a, kind of some cool stuff dropped off uh, at your from GM today uh, before this podcast. What kind of cool stuff was dropped off? Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, we have the, uh, we're, we're kind of finalizing the installation of the Vision Realized. People can walk through it. It's just not 100% yet, of course, thanks to the pandemic and all of the shutdowns. Um, but uh, GM was dropping off this morning uh, three of those mid-engine concept vehicles to put in the exhibit. Uh, so this morning we welcomed Serve One, uh, which is the first mid-engine car that Zora builds at Chevrolet, um, along with um, the um, Astro 2 and then Reynolds Aluminum, uh, all, both mid-engine concept cars. Uh, into the museum and uh, into the exhibit, which already has a car known as XP819, um, often referred to as the Ugly Duckling. Uh, that is the only uh, fully rear-engined uh, attempt uh, at a, a Corvette concept car. Uh, so, you know, you got to remember a, a, a rear mid-engined uh, car is an engine just in front of the rear axle. And a rear-engined car is one with the engine actually behind the rear axle. Um, so, you know, that's kind of that designation difference. So in Chevrolet history, GM history, Corvair was a rear-engine car, and Fiero was a mid-engine car. Um, best way for some people to maybe think about it. Um, but we do have the ugly duckling here. Of course, the two-rotor is in the exhibit because it's our car. Um, the Indy concept from the 1980s is here, 
and uh, we also obviously have a 2020 um, C8 Corvette on display for everyone to see. Right. Okay. Now, how could our listeners learn more about the museum and events coming up soon? Oh, that's easy. You just go to CorvetteMuseum.org, and uh, all the information about the museum is on there. Um, Of course, right now, what everybody is asking about um, all the safety measures we're taking during this this time in in history, um, so you can read all about that. And uh, but you can also find out our hours of operation, our admissions prices, uh, discounts on that for you know senior veterans, all that. Um, but then also um, all the different um, exhibit information up there. Um, there's links to our store, so you don't even have to come here and shop. You can shop online. And then, you know, also, um, I, probably some of your listeners uh, know, we also have a motorsports park uh, just across I-65. And uh, you can also find links to all the events that happen over at the Motorsports Park on our website as well. Wow. Okay. That is really cool. Now, one thing I do at the end here, and I did give you a heads up, so uh, you've been a great sport so far, so hopefully you'll be a great sport for a little bit longer, (laughs) is my little game I called Keep, Cash, and Crush. And so I give you three cars, and you have to tell me which one you want to keep forever, which one you don't mind cashing in, and then which one you're going to send to the crusher. So... It's going to be difficult, but, um, you know, people like that. So (laughs) are you ready? I am ready. All right. You know this is going to be difficult when two of the three cars you actually mentioned in the interview. So that's that's probably not a good sign for you So, because you mentioned a lot of really special cars. (laughs) And uh, one of them is on your top ten list, ironically enough. So let's start with that. So one of the cars is the 1983 Corvette, one of one. Uh, one of the cars is a 2019 ZR1 pre-production car. And then the third car is another one you mentioned, which I had honestly never heard of before this call, uh, my research prior to the call, a 1991 Snake Skinner, the SS1 or 2. So those are your three cars, 2019 ZR1 pre-production, 1983 Corvette, or 1991 Snake Skinner. Which one would you want to keep forever? Which one would you cash in? And which one would you send to the crusher? So I feel like I'm getting set up here because you picked three (laughs) cars that actually exist in the museum collection. So I didn't know the pre-production. I didn't know the Snake Skinner was there. Okay. Yeah, so we have the 83. We we actually have the Dubai reveal car of the ZR1, the one that Tom uh, Peters drove out in Dubai. Uh, We have that car here. And uh, we have Snake Skinner 2 in the collection as well. That wasn't my intent, but it worked out really well. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting set up here, cause no matter what I say. Um, so let's see. We have to do, sorry, uh, keep, crush, and cash. Keep, keep cash, cash, and crush. crush. Yeah. So I have to yep. keep one, cash one in, and crush one. You're not very kind. You're not very kind, Greg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, obviously, the keep would have to be the '83 Corvette. Um, you know, the significance of that car is is uh, beyond um, anything. Um, mm. This is where I leave in all the dead silence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> let's go. Okay, so this here's my theory. Okay, this this is my reasoning and my theory. Okay, 1983 Corvette keep very significant car to Corvette history needs to be saved. Uh, cash in the either Snake Skinner 1 or Snake Skinner 2 um, would be the cash in because the car would still survive. It just wouldn't be in my hands. 
and the crush would be the pre-production ZR1 because there are production versions of that car that can be had and refill that void of crushing that car. Very well thought out. I like that. I would have done the same exact as you. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. And a lot of the pre-production stuff was crushed anyways, right? Yes, usually anything pre-production is uh, crushed. Um, occasionally, um, you know, they'll save some of those cars at the Heritage Center, or, you know, occasionally we can get our, you know, our hands on one, um, being the museum, being that they know it's not ever going to leave here. Um, you know, they'll, they'll occasionally like the Dubai, uh, reveal car, you know, they'll send it here. So. All right. So on top of everything that you do at the museum, it's my understanding that you also have an automotive podcast that you might want to share with our listeners. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably get myself into way too much, um, with the, the antique cars <laughs> and the job and everything else. Uh, but yeah, I also uh, co-host a podcast, automotive podcast, uh, called No Driving Gloves, um, with a couple of guys, uh, um, you know, from different. It, it basically, we brought together people from different um, different ends of the automotive industry. So we've got um, a host that is a, a hot rod uh, builder, has a big hot rod shop down in Alabama. Um, a gentleman who builds racing simulators, which are are hot right now, obviously. And uh, another gentleman who has been a collector for years, also worked in the, the museum field. That's actually how he and I got to know each other. Uh, but all with just a little bit different perspective on, on the automotive industry and the hobby. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like your podcast. It's just kind of a loose, um, you know, conversational podcast, family-friendly. And, uh, yeah, we put out uh, typically one a week, uh, sometimes some bonus episodes for our listeners. But, yeah, I would encourage, hopefully, uh, you get a chance to uh, listen to it sometime, and, and maybe even we'd love to have you on. Cool, and that's called No Driving Gloves, correct? Yes. Well, cool. Well, thank you for sharing your passion for Corvettes with us today and for coming up with the top ten list and for playing Keep Cash and Crush. I really appreciate it. Not a problem, Greg. It was uh, it was fun being on the show, and uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I, I look forward to uh, talking with you more in the future, maybe. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast. <laughs>